Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fassett. On this episode, we get to meet Charles Spearin. Charles is a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, composer, producer. He wears many hats, and he hails from Toronto, Canada. He's best known for being a part of two juggernaut bands, one being Do Make Say Think, and the other being experimental pop rock collective supergroup Broken Social Scene. In this chat, Charles and I talk a bit about how both of those bands came to be and how their histories are sort of forever intertwined, including the fact that they very frequently release albums basically at the same exact time. We also talk a bit about what goes into a broken social scene song and how they all make sense of the many, many moving parts that come from the many, many revolving members. We also talk a bit about Canada's music scene and the camaraderie there, as well as what life has been like for him during COVID and the surprising, interesting creative pursuits he's taken up during quarantine. So thank you for listening, and please enjoy. This is me meeting Charles Spearin. Oh, happy. Where, where are we, by the way? I'm in Connecticut. Okay. I presume you're up in Canada right now? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm never sure where people are calling from, which is why I always specify that I'm on Eastern time, because like especially if I'm talking to someone from Europe or somewhere, I'm like, yeah, I, I get home around four and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I usually yeah. have to, I have to try to, to make it work, but I think, I think you and I are on the same time zone. So yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah. So yes. So how are, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm uh, keeping pretty busy with lots of little projects. Um, I've got uh, two teenage girls who are in high school, so getting them to and from school is a challenge because we try not to put them on a packed subway, um, right. and the weather's not always great for cycling, uh, so we have to drive them occasionally. Uh, and uh, also, there's so, just it's are, just so are they back? Are they fully back right now? It's not fully back. No, what they're doing is like basically it's a four day cycle and they do two mornings out of the four days. So it's really like oh, okay. quarter time back. And then this classes are very small and then they just stay in the same class for four hours. So yeah, um, I'm a, I'm, I'm an English teacher, so I've been dealing with this as well. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> High school or what? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I teach uh, freshmen and sophomores right now. So, right. Yeah. yeah it's been a challenge. <laughs> <with COVID. laughs> I believe it. Yeah. My daughter is learning the essay form right now in grade 10 English. So she's uh, four hours, <laughs> four hours of essay writing in class isn't necessarily the funnest uh, way to spend it. And I feel for the teacher too to have a yeah. four hour class, how to, how to make, make that work tricky yeah ours are ours are uh long too but they're only 90 minutes i i, okay. I don't even know that i could do like i don't know how i'd manage a four hour straight four hour course you kind of need the in-between time for them to go work on stuff by themselves and then come back with it and so if i had to teach for four straight hours i don't exactly know how i would do that yeah and then it's four hours online the next day so it's mm -hmm. uh, it's 
even trickier. Yeah, we were doing that, um, but we're, we we just recently went back to full time. So yeah, yeah, see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto was doing really well with COVID until about uh, you know three weeks ago, and then it just sort of exponentially exploded. And so we can't gloat anymore about how well we're doing compared to America. And now we're kind of in the same boat. So. Yeah, I know. Connecticut was actually one of the states with the lowest infection rates. And I think we might still be, but we're even we are, are spiking again. So yeah. Yeah. it's not good. Yeah. I don't know. Whoever thought it was going away was, was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, how have you been during the pandemic and quarantine? I mean, were you finding ways to be productive? Yeah, I've been, uh, I mean, I've been, Normally, I would be on tour right now. We actually had a broken social scene fall tour planned mm. for uh, for now, um, but that was obviously canceled a long time ago. Uh, so I've been kind of lucky in the sense that uh, I've been given a few big projects, like did a film score, I did a few other soundtrack pieces, um, and uh, I've been invited into some fun clubs, <laughs> like oh. like a. <laughs> I've been in a book club forever, so that's kind of helpful. We, you know, we read a book every month, and that's been going on for a long time. But now I'm also in um, a song a day club, which sort of happens every once in a while, and that's just the best thing, where a group of us, uh, sort of all around America and Canada, uh, and I guess there's a couple in Europe too, but um, we have to write and record a, a new song every day for a week. And if you miss a day, then you're sort of kicked out of the club. So you got to like, it's it's a real uh, test of, of just saying yes to everything and following your instincts. Um, yeah, I assume I assume the pressure is not to write the next great song. No, it's not. It's just to, it's to get over yourself, basically. Right. Um, and it's really healthy and fun. And and then everybody sends in their their songs, and and most of them are are really great. It's really um, it's it's a really fun group of people and uh so that really helps and then uh i started a, a little poetry club as well similar idea where everybody has to write a poem a day and uh, and then it's, so that sort of focuses your mind um and, yeah those sound fun <laughs> yeah and I, I recommend it like for everybody like it's a simple thing to do just get a bunch of friends together and like just yeah you know, if, if you know you have to write something every day, then the expectation of greatness is thrown out the window. So it's just kind of, if something great happens, then it's celebrated and it's fun. Um, but uh, it's an easy thing to do and it's a way to keep your mind off of politics. Um, yeah, oh yeah, anything for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, for for quite a while now, I've been working on a, um, well, now it's a musical. Uh, originally, um, I had been working with a group of Syrian refugees uh, who came to Canada uh, three or four years ago, and I just befriended them through a children's choir that I was volunteering at, and um, we had this idea of making an album together. So we were we were getting together once a week and jamming sort of Middle Eastern music and, uh, and rock or where um, just jamming and making music. And then uh, Esmail, the main guy I was working with, uh, he said, uh, I think we need to write a musical. And this is very much out of my wheelhouse. This is uh, not, not my kind of, not my bag at all. But I was so excited about it because he was so excited about it. And the idea, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Like all these refugees trying to escape from Syria 
And in Canada, there's this amazing program called the um, Private Sponsorship Program, where any group of five people or more can get together and raise funds and then like try and find housing and all this and and themselves connect with uh, refugees in Syria and bring them over and sort of settle them into their community. And Canada really exploded with that about four years ago. So there was all these um, private sponsorship groups uh, of, of people who didn't really necessarily know each other that well, you know, kind of reaching across the ocean to try and bring these uh, refugees in. Uh, and then the refugees themselves having their crazy stories and then the different music. And so we've been writing and storyboarding and, and, um, and that's been like a, a real uh, delight to work on because it's just, they're just such great people and, um, and the music and the stories are so fun. We've been interviewing tons and tons and tons of refugees and interviewing tons of sponsors. So it's, it's been a real learning curve as well. And I enjoy that uh, learning about it because it's a part of Canadian history, which really should be celebrated. And I didn't know much about it. So it's, it's fun to work on that. Yeah. I've, ne I've never heard of those. So that's a very uh, interesting program. Yeah. Apparently there's a lot of Americans who felt that they, uh, um, they wanted their country to be more active in terms of sponsoring refugees uh, and ended up sort of going through Canada, like donating mm -hmm. to these private sponsors in Canada. So there's a huge help from America as well. Um, it's, uh, it's a Canadian program, but uh, Americans raised a ton of money as well. So uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, cool. anyway, it's an amazing story. So that's like funneling into this musical project? Yeah, which is, you know, four or five years down the road like we're still in this the the script writing storyboarding music writing stage but we have lots of lots of interest lots of people behind us you know we have our we have our hearts set on broadway <laughs> <laughs> but we won't be disappointed when we don't get there <laughs> there's a lot of stops along the way there are <laughs> <laughs> is there you know maybe this is totally not even really pertinent to my interviewing you, but I just don't know. Is there a like a Broadway equivalent in Canada? Well, the Toronto Toronto music scene, musical theater scene, is pretty huge. Like there's okay. there's a lot of big theaters, and like we're we had our own production of Hamilton. Like there's it's. Mm. I mean, we like to think of it as the third. So like New York, London, and Toronto are kind of the the, <laughs> the three musical theater places. Although the rest of the world hasn't really caught on to that yet. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I can't say I've heard that before, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got the we've got the audiences and we've got the theaters, so it's pretty close. Yeah, I know. I'm a I'm supposed to be actually going to Toronto next year for the first ever time, but who knows how who knows? that's going to look? <laughs> Currently, I'm hoping, but who knows? Um, even if we're allowed in, who knows if there will be shows and stuff? So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, it's still um, a great city. Like I, I, yeah, I, I wanted to go for a while. So yeah, I mean, I travel. I've never lived anywhere else, but I travel for a living. And the more I travel, the more I kind of appreciate different aspects of home. That's nice, though. Yeah, it's nice to not feel like you travel and you're like thinking, oh, okay, well, this is where I live. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, it sounds like you've you've kept busy. Um, so that's good. I know not everyone has a uh, had the have been able to afford to keep busy some people have been sort of between things that aren't able to go so right yeah that's nice yeah um nice. and then you also um i guess we can talk about this first you also very recently put out um that 
a new album, a collaborative album mm-hmm. um, with uh, Josephine Runstein. Am I saying that right? Yeah, or Yusufin Runstein. But, oh, Yusufin. Uh, I thought it was an O. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, it's um, Swedish, so she would pronounce that's it. True. That is, so. <laughs> that's true. But it is, everybody calls her Josephine. So it's, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, called Thank God Our Plague is Over With. Um, or over, sorry. Thank God um, the, the plague is over, yeah. See, I'm getting everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> My notes are betraying me. Um, and I liked also, I noticed that it featured um, Geetha from Moom. Um, so that's cool. Um, yes. So how did this project come about? Because isn't it, um, it's all improvisational pieces? It is. It is all improvisational pieces. Um, I was invited by Feist. I used to play in, in Leslie's band uh, mm-hmm. for years, and we've been friends for ages. Um, I was invited by uh, her to this sort of writer's retreat, um, uh, kind of idyllic getaway uh, in Italy, uh, not this summer, but the summer before. So the summer of uh, 2000 and, um, 2019. Yes, mm-hmm. 2019. <laughs> um, uh, and it was in northern italy in this um amazing little part of uh sort of at the base of the dolomite mountains absolutely stunning there's this castle medieval castle and so all these musicians great musicians got together um like damian rice and um uh uh adrian lenker from big thief and oh, is, is this the thing that like i kept seeing you all like on a boat <laughs> Oh, it's related. Yeah. Okay, was, it's related. That was, okay. <laughs> that was the year before. I wasn't on the oh, boat. Okay. But yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot of the same people. This was a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger. But I, it's, um, it's sort of Damien Rice's uh, kind of, in a way, gift, but also his inspiration is to bring people together and work with new people and in, in a creative environment. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, Damien is really kind of the godfather of the of this these retreats. Um, but while we were there, um, we were the very first day we were there. We were all given a tour of this absolutely uh, stunning Italian castle, um, and then uh, we heard about this little chapel that was down the road, um, tiny little chapel. Uh, and I had heard there was a violinist, and so I found her, uh, and I was going to bring my nickel harpa. I play a Swedish medieval sort of keyed uh, violin called a nickel harpa hmm. um and uh, we were going to go and sort of explore the acoustics of the space so the two of us and a few other people like the two of us brought our instruments and a few other people we all walked down the little road and uh stepped into this tiny tiny little little chapel and took out our instruments and just started playing uh without talking about it first and both of us immediately like we just sort of woke up to the, this some kind of magic was happening. Like um, uh, we just listened and played off each other so beautifully. And the sound of the room was just so uh, magnificent. It was so, so tiny, but so resonant. Um, uh, and we just played and played and played and played. And then we got so loud and so quiet and so soft. And we just, it just, it was one of the most magical musical experiences of my life, the way we kind of, um, danced with each other uh, in this meeting, um, and it, she she felt the same. She felt the same kind of magic uh, 
I don't even like the word magic, but there's just something <laughs> about it that was just really special and unique and and and, and powerful um, emotionally. Um, so we decided uh, that it would be a good idea just to come back and record ourselves. So we took 20 minutes out of each day, or maybe it became more as we went along, but uh, we would just go back and improvise inside this little chapel and uh, and then collected all of the all of the recordings into um, three hours worth and uh, picked our favorite parts. And, um, and that's what uh, became the album. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that not only was it improvisational, but it was, it was like almost sort of in the moment, just even the recording kind of off the cuff to a certain degree um, because it also, it doesn't sound like it. It's not like just orally. It sounds very, clean and very well recorded but I guess a lot of that probably is the beauty of the space as well because mm-hmm. um, it sounds like it was a really perfect spot for that kind of thing it was yeah and also uh Phil Weinrobe was uh there he's a um sound engineer who works a lot with the uh, Big Thief and, and Damien Rice and he had these you know a good microphone set up in there and uh originally recorded on this Nagra reel-to-reel tape recorder so I mean it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful sound recording as well as uh, as well as the the spirit of the place. Yeah, it does. It's, I was listening to it the other night on on headphones. It's a very sort of transportive sounding thing. Um, I also like that the second track is just an emoji. <laughs> it's just a crying <laughs> emoji. <laughs> we had <laughs> we had to change that. We, oh really? We, yeah, we we originally released it ourselves on uh, on Bandcamp um and then yeah, that's uh, where art, i listened to it yeah and then arts and crafts uh records from toronto uh, which is broken social scenes record label and, mm-hmm. and my record label um uh asked if they could put it out uh, and so suddenly it became through you know major label distribution and it's on now it's on spotify and it's on you know all the streaming sites it's not it's there's no physical copies of it yet but um but the distributors didn't didn't go for it. They didn't like the emoji. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were like, "How is anybody going to look it up alphabetically? Like, how is this, how are you going to get royalties for this? Like, how how is how is this going to be tracked?" And uh, we found a few other examples out there in the world. Like, um, I don't know if you remember Bats. Uh, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. He has the heart. Song. The heart one, yeah. yeah. And we were like, well, if Baths can do it, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like his debut. He had like no yeah. like cred even to go on at that point. Yeah. And that was uh, anyway. Eventually, we had to concede and change the title to um, <laughs> something else. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that because I only listened on Bandcamp, where it's still a crying emoji. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, we kept <laughs> it like that. <laughs> um. So. With people, when I'm talking to people like you who are kind of known for being in multiple projects and you, you, you know, you play quite a few different instruments in those projects, I always like to go onto Discogs and sort of see the credits that they have. Um, <laughs> and I, I was actually a little surprised that you, um, most of your credits on Discogs are for bands you are actually in. Yeah. Um, which is kind of neat because I feel like so many people who, um, operate in this way they kind of get their start by session work you know and mm. kind of contributing a piece here and there but actually yeah your first credited appearance was do make say think um 
so how did I didn't realize that Do Make Say Think actually predated um, Broken Social Scene and Casey Accidental. Yeah. Um, did 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 Do Make Say Think lead you to those other projects? Um. Well, yes. Like how did those worlds collide in, in in the way that they did? Well, I think I mean in the in the in the late '90s, sort of mid to late '90s. Um, I was playing in a lot of different bands. Like they didn't make necessarily make albums. It wasn't as okay. easy to make an album back then. Um, but I would be, I played with a, a, a bunch of different local bands. Um, well, actually, I mean, I think most, most of them were bands that I started with friends because it was just sort of so fun and so easy to do. Like you just make up a band name, write a bunch of songs. <laughs> and then book a gig somewhere. So it was kind of what we did for fun was just to invent bands and play gigs and, uh, and uh, you know, the sort of band um, boundary was very porous and vague. Like, mm -hmm. you know, bands would appear and disappear and it was just, you know, you could make up a new band tomorrow. Um, and uh, it was a fun thing to do. So that happened quite a bit. Um, do Makes I Think was one of the bands that just sort of kept getting, getting invited to play. Uh, yeah. like when we first did, the, we did our first do makes I think show, I kind of booked the gig as a joke. I invented the band name sort of on the spot, um, and told my roommates that we had a gig and they were like, what are we called? <laughs> <laughs> and, and cause we had, we would just jam in, in our living room and, and we had all these, you know, fun, um, like eight track recordings. Uh, we were sort of an experimental, instead of watching television, we would just sit around with the egg track and make weird art noises. And so I booked mm -hmm. us a gig. And that was the only gig that I booked for the band. And then we just kept getting invited to do another show and another show and another show and another show. So Do Makes I Think kind of um, exists because of encouragement. Like, um, And it's a nice way to, it's a nice way for a band to begin. Like, you don't, there's no pressure. There's no putting together of like mailing lists and and reaching out to writers and promoters and all this stuff. It's just kind of like people immediately liked it and pulled us along. And you know that's the way the band's kind of still been going. We're we're 25 years in almost. Um, and uh, and so that was kind of one of the bands that that kept going. Like Casey Accidental. Uh, was myself and uh, Kevin Drew sort of pre-broken social scene, um, right. and he was a, a a friend and a do make say think fan, and um, he invited me to play in his other band called Dejula, and we did a couple of gigs, and then they broke up, and then Kevin and I started our own recording project, um, and we did a couple of gigs as well, and then while I was on tour with broken with well I was on tour with do make say think and our first big European tour. Um, Kevin uh, borrowed my eight track and met Brendan Canning. And then the two of them made Feel Good Lost, which is the first uh, Broken oh, yeah, Social yeah. Scene album. Okay. And, then, and then when I got back, I mixed it. But basically, the reason I'm not on so many other albums is because between Do Makes They Think and Broken Social Scene, I was quite busy for 15 years. That was a, yeah. a big, um, you know, that, they both took up all my time. Uh, I did play live with other people pretty regularly. Like I played, uh, oh, 
Campus. Well, like with Feist, I mean, you played with Feist yeah, a lot. Yeah, I toured with yeah. Feist for a few years, and uh, and that was like a real delight. Um, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, really great people. Like just everybody was just so nice, and the music was so good. Yeah, that was a real highlight of uh, my musical life. That is kind of the vibe I get as a, maybe it's just as an American listening to arts and crafts music. Um, just that you get, there's just like a, a camaraderie and like an energy that you guys share, I would imagine. It seems yeah. that way anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know how to compare it. Like, I don't know what I have to compare it to. I know, I certainly know enough American bands that all get along. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> not like, not like Americans know, are angry and Canadians are friendly. Like, there's tons of friendly American bands and like, we all like, um, sort of travel in the same way. But I think there, there was kind of a sort of special um, Toronto community in the early 2000s. Um, mm that uh i think kind of shrugged off all the major labels and just supported each other and had fun with music for a long time and uh you know everybody would invent a new band and then go and see it and the friends would go and see it it was a sort of a small community but really really supportive and really playful um and i think that sort of informed our way to be for the rest of our lives like that kind of ideal of how a band should be it's not uh it's not maybe the same as uh, as other other people's ideals. Well, yeah, and I mean that's kind of what I mean. Um, I mean, obviously, yes, there are American bands who tour together commonly or are obviously friendly with each other. But there's just <laughs> something about um, I think it's something about the fact that there's so much overlap with this group. Um, you know, I'm just looking now at the credits for, for example, the, I had the credits for the first. Um, Casey Accidental Band uh, album pulled up and it has you and Kevin, but it also has, you know, Evan Cranley and Jimmy Shaw and Emily Haynes. And yeah. so all these people, like you say, they form other bands, but then they also kind of, all these bands sort of crisscross. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of what I noticed as a sort of budding music fan, you know, in my, in my teen years when I was starting to get into uh, more music and I I kept being like oh this person's on that one and that one that person's on this one and, and there was just like that interconnectedness that was um, sort of unique at least to me at the time. Mm. I would credit a lot of that to Kevin Drew's attitude to to bringing people together. Mm. I mean Kevin Kevin just like I, I when I was making uh, Casey Accidental with Kevin, the two of us could play all these instruments, but he kept bringing friends in to play. And I'm like, well, I, I can play guitar. I don't need, <laughs> we don't need we don't need another guitar player. It's like, oh, but just get his vibe on it. It's like, OK, that's a great idea. Let's let's bring. And so we get more and more people in, um, not because we needed the instrument, not because we needed that, but because we needed this, this sort of secret personal um like uh, magic uh, spice to the stew and and that uh, attitude I didn't really have too much before working with Kevin like I mm. I thought you know you get a band together and then you focus on your album and you make it as good as you can and then you play it and share it but Kevin's attitude was always well let's just get more people in to play on the album and and uh, it'll be cooler <laughs> and like yeah <laughs> uh, and 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 it was a bit um it was really uh, fun and kind of egoless and is and contagious like everybody who would get invited in would feel this kind of uh light-hearted energy and and want to come back and you know people are still coming back like we still have the same group of friends that uh, 
you know, are in different bands and touring all over the place. And, mm -hmm. but whenever we get together, we're still the same friends. So is Broken Social Scene as a band always intended to be that kind of very large cast of like kind of intersecting and sort of revolving friends that kind of come and go when they can and make stuff together? I don't know if it was so much an intention as much as uh, just kind of an evolution. Like, mm. I think part of the part of the shaping of it was that I was in Do Make Say Think and we toured a lot. So um, when I was on tour with Do Make Say Think, I couldn't be with Broken Social Scene. So they'd say, OK, we'll just get Evan Cranley to come in or we'll bring in Andrew for this. And 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 this sort of uh, revolving uh, cast kind of um, came as a way of sort of accommodating uh, everybody um mm. it wasn't it wasn't intention it was just a natural natural sort of progression of of how these people could keep, continue to work together and be friends so in in a more uh and more like today's terms then so how does a typical broken social scene album even get made i mean does kevin sort of sketch out a bass line and then everyone sort of adds on to it or, or do people kind of compose their own parts and you combine them we we very much all write our own parts like kevin okay. i mean there's sort of this maybe understanding that kevin and brendan write the parts for us but that ne that's never happened nobody tells anybody else what to play occasionally they'll tell us what not to play <laughs> you know <laughs> like like no no we don't want that drum beat try something like this so there's more of a coaching rather than a, a like an actual written part um, that happens pretty regularly, but but at the same time, when we go in to record a broken social scene record, we always know that we need to leave space for other ideas, other people's ideas. Um, so we'll often kind of either we'll get together in my garage here and uh, jam out a handful of sort of rough songs, just maybe four or five of us. Um, and then we'll go into the studio and we always end up writing a million more in the studio because while one person's recording, two other people are, are in the, you know, in the, the control room, just jamming or in the lobby, whatever. And, and then and there's just no shortage of new ideas. So we have um, this kind of like fountain of music when we go into the studio and we're not shy about uh, being unrehearsed. Like mm. a lot of, a lot of times the first, the first time you play something is is the most um i don't know the most sincere or the most it, it's like a conversation rather than a speech um mm. and uh so we we love to be able to record the first impulses um and then everybody gets excited and wants to add more and more overdubs and then we all sort of say no 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 like <laughs> like evan's going to be coming in next week like uh let's just leave this because he's going to come up with something great. We don't know what it is, but we'll just leave room for him. Um, and then towards the end, once all of the pieces are there, like basically everybody gets to feel like they've contributed a part of themselves, like their ideas. Like, and once all of those ideas are in, that's sort of when Kevin in particular starts to get a little bit more um, uh, like what's a word that's not controlling <laughs> like um, uh like he, he he starts to sort of funnel funnel the song together in 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 a way that he likes um okay so he's basically taking all of the all of the elements and picking his favorite ones and turning them up and like like uh sort of um 
I guess we, we sort of provide all the ingredients and then he cooks with it or, but anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm always a big part of the, the mixing process as well, but, uh, um, it's, uh, I, I feel like basically it sort of opens up with this really broad invitation, come and be yourself, add your parts, like, and we will encourage it and want, want that. Um, but then as we go along, um, like eventually the decisions have to get made. So it's really right. helpful to have someone say like, yes to this and no to that. So in a uh, sense, right. he's kind of like the editor. Yeah. I think that's maybe a good word for it. Like this, okay. we don't, we don't, we're not a democracy and we're not a, a, like at the end, it really comes down to, I mean, there's a certain amount of campaigning that happens. Like if maybe two of us really like one song or one part, then mm -hmm. we'll try and push, push together for that. And maybe call somebody else and say, don't you really like that song? Maybe you should tell Kevin <laughs> you like that song. So it's this funny kind of like, uh, I don't know. That's a, it's sort of a, <laughs> a strange political dynamic, but yeah. Um, but I'm sure it's it sounds like it's mostly an amicable process. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. I mean, there's always some disappointment because one person likes one song more than another, and it doesn't make it onto the record. But everybody understands um, that they have been that everybody's treated fairly. Like, like there, every single broken social scene album could have been all sung by Kevin, and mm -hmm. you know we make sure that you know that there's all these great uh, female singers who are who who are who have really uplifted the band so much we just like make sure that they have a space um and and are are welcomed and encouraged and included um yeah does and, kevin write does kevin write the lyrics um he writes a lot of the lyrics um okay. and he, he has written lyrics for other singers um, but not often. Usually, okay. everybody usually everybody writes their own lyrics. Like when Brendan sings, uh, they're Brendan's lyrics. When um, when Emily sings, they're Emily's lyrics. When Leslie sings, they're her lyrics. Um, I think Lisa Lobsinger um, worked more with Kevin. Like to like Kevin wrote some of it. Like uh, "All to All" was written by Kevin, but sung mm -hmm. by Lisa. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, really, ultimately, the whole the whole uh, intent is to let everybody or hope that everybody feels genuinely uh, appreciated and part of it. Does it ever surprise you, since you're still in the band now, does it ever surprise you when you look back and see like kind of how how much Broken Social Scene kind of did explode onto the scene, especially with your second album? I mean, they're the band did sort of become like this tentpole band, um, which I don't think anyone really ever anticipates. Mm -hmm. um, so does it ever like kind of surprise you in a good way that you guys have uh, have made it this far and are still sort of um, attracting that same sort of fan base along, along the way? Uh, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised early on. I mean, do makes I think it had some success and that was a bit of a, um, that was a surprise as well because we, for so long we would only be playing for our friends and clubs mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden like there's a bunch of strangers there it's like why who, who are you oh we just came to see the band like but wait who do you know we don't know anybody we just heard the band was good so so <laughs> we had this first kind of small bubble for do make say think of, of becoming a real band where people were interested and then um 
broken social scene sort of dwarfed that bubble like a few years later. But I think broken social scene really for for 15 years or so has really been kind of plateaued. Like we're successful and we can still tour and, and play nice venues. Um, but our, like we've, you know, we still never had a hit, not that we're really trying for one, <laughs> but like we, we just have kind of have this sort of uh, comfortable, um, um, so what do you call it? Like a middle-class band. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we kind of make a living off of it yeah, yeah and yeah. we're doing all right. Um, but we never like blew up into superstardom, you know, which when sometimes when you get the first bubble happening, you feel like, Oh my God, how far is this going to go? This is incredible. Um, and certainly when we played um, uh, Lollapalooza in 2006, I think that was probably the, one of the freakiest moments of my life like like the, the crowd was in huge and insane and screaming for us and it was just like oh my god this is us yeah. our friends like what's going on so at that point maybe we thought we would one day be you know headlining these festivals like there seemed this sort of possibility of like they, they could just grow and grow and grow but that was our you know the beginning of our plateau and, and we don't resent it at all it's just uh um it's just we don't feel the like the, to go back to your question um we don't feel the surprise of it anymore because it's been mm -hmm. so similar for so long now right so maybe it was sort of shocking in the beginning but now you've kind of eased into it and it kind of are at a place where you can relax with it a bit i think yeah yeah i mean we we still would like to have like every time we make an album we have this sort of hope maybe that uh that it will kind of reach a, a newer audience as well, instead of just uh, the same, the same fan, the diehard fans. Mm -hmm. um, but usually we don't think about that too much, you know, not too much when we're in the studio, we just try to yeah. make music that we like and, and, uh, and allow other people to be part of it. Yeah. Is, is that generally sort of the mission when you guys go into the studio? Is there ever some sort of clear vision of what's to come out or is it just sort of to bring people together and, and, and watch what happens? I mean, we've tried, we have meetings before every album, mm -hmm. <laughs> but once we, get, once we get in there, we just do our thing. Like it's kind of, yeah. it's, we don't really know how to behave differently. Like we have ideas, <laughs> we get excited about them and we record them. It's not like, uh, not like there's any real plan in place. Yeah. Yeah, how many how many um, hours of, of of audio do you think are somewhere on some cutting room floor? <laughs> There's actually a ton. We're and in fact, uh, during this uh, whole uh, COVID lockdown, we've been trying to kind of catalog some of it because hmm. there are you know several dozen songs that are like finished or or ninety percent finished that are really good. So uh, I think um, you know we're talking about uh kind of putting a collection together of like you know sort of leftovers which mm -hmm. hey you know i know some of them i put hours and hours and hours of work into so i would be thrilled if they uh saw the light of day um right and you know some of them were recorded 15 years ago and kind of cool in, in that sense yeah no it's kind of i always think it's kind of neat those kinds of things because it's sort of like a little time capsule almost yeah it is yeah especially for something that is at least um, from an outsider's perspective, like broken social scene is quite an, as almost, as you said, an evolutionary thing. It's kind of, 
you know, expanded and contracted over time. So to go back and see 15 year old, you know, versions of what they, what you guys were, um, I think would be really interesting, even from your point of view, from like a curator's point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it has been fun to go back and listen to these songs that uh, completely forgotten about, but still, <laughs> still no um, inside and out memorized. Like, so. yeah, it's like sense memory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that answers that question. Um, is that, <laughs> is do make say think on hold for COVID? Yeah, do make say think is um, is on hold. I don't know if it's for COVID. We haven't done anything in, in a while. Um, yeah, I think uh, what was it? Your last one came out uh, in 2017. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. oh yeah, that was the same year as the last broken social scene record. Yeah, uh, it always works out that way. It's awful. Oh okay. <laughs> is that like, by accident? <laughs> it's totally by accident. That's so yeah. funny. That makes you a very that gives you a very busy year. Exactly. That's the way it is. I get these like busy times, and then it's just. It, there was a moment when it looked like both the albums were going to come out on the same day, just <laughs> just by accident. Like, wow. uh, yeah. So, and that that's happened a few times. That's funny. Um, but we're, I mean, we're still a band, although I haven't seen the guys in a while. We got together for a barbecue like a month or so ago, and that was fun. That's nice. Um, but uh, we're not the hardest working band, but we all uh, <laughs> we all love the music that we make together. So there's always this kind of like in the back of our mind, oh, it's, it'd be nice to get together again and do something. Um, well, it's kind but, of like what you said about Broken Social Scene. Like you guys are all sort of connected. So even if you go a few years without being together and making stuff, you get back together and you kind of lock back into the, the groove of things. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, everybody's pretty busy in the band. I know, uh, like, uh, Ohad and Justin um, in Do Make Say Think, they've been doing a ton of film score work, and they're really good at it. So, uh, like, I, I, and they have, you know, everybody's got kids. So, like, to have mm -hmm. a good a good film scoring gig uh, with income and children, and it doesn't interrupt, you know, COVID doesn't interrupt it too much. Like, it's, it's um you know there's not a lot of rush to get back into the van and hit the road again <laughs> right yeah no that's true if you can get something you can kind of do from home why not yeah um well thank you so much for talking to me today um, it was a pleasure yeah i really appreciate it i really appreciate your time i've been uh you know i've been a, a general uh, fan of broken social scene for years so it's it's fun to get to talk to you today nice well, nice to nice to meet you, Jeremy, and uh, yeah, good luck well. with good luck with um, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded statement. <laughs> um, but I will, I will. I'll try my best with Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> you try your best with Toronto. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, All thank right. you again. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye.